Hi everyone. Our first Bible reading this morning is from 2 Samuel chapter 7 from verse 1. And if you have one of the church Bibles on your chair, that's on page 311. So it's 2 Samuel chapter 7 from verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Our second reading is from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5 to 2, 4, and that's on page 1203, if you have a church Bible. Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Good morning. Uh, some of you are wondering who this strange person is down the front here today. Uh, my name's Archie. Uh, I'm famous for being married to Ainsley, who uh, uh, gave the quip uh, talk a couple of minutes ago. Hello, Anna. Uh, it's great to be here. I preach here occasionally at Botany. Um, less than I'd like to, but it's always great to see you again. Uh, the reason I'm here today is I made Rod get sick. So, so he got sick yesterday, and so he asked me to preach. And... Uh, and so you have on your outline, Rod's outline. So you can tear that up. Now you can, uh, uh, what will happen is on the, um, uh, on the PowerPoint uh, screen behind me, you'll get to see the outline of where I'm going this afternoon. So you can use the outline to take notes if you want to do that. But I won't be following Rod's outline. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we know that without your aid, we are in darkness we will never pay attention to what you have said, we will never believe what you have said, and we will never enact what you say. So we ask you today to hear our prayer and lighten the darkness of our hearts. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Well, last night, I'm sure many of you watched the coronation of King Charles III, and it was full of pomp and history and tradition and colour, a thousand years of uh, doing it there in the Abbey. And I'm sure that even here in this congregation, that you watched it with different degrees of emotional responses and attachment and attitude to what occurred. But along with leaders, 149 leaders of other countries that comprise our Commonwealth, our own Prime Minister, a lifelong committed Republican, would be expected to do what we saw the Archbishop of Canterbury do and Prince William do. They knelt down and vowed allegiance to the king. Now, how is it possible for a Republican to declare allegiance to the king? I think there are two possible reasons. Firstly, the Prime Minister represents Australia, and he is acknowledging that this country is still a constitutional monarchy, 
And despite his personal beliefs, he represents our country and so he did it. But I think the second reason is that as he does it, there's not much at stake. Declaring allegiance is just a ceremonial thing that you do. It's what you do because it is Coronation Day, but that declaration doesn't have long-term implications. After all, how can allegiance last? What's the monarch ever done for you? We hardly pay attention to them, except in the gossip pages in the newspapers and on our news feeds. And what can the king do if you change your mind about being a, an, uh, having allegiance to him? Does he get the royal carriage out and try and run you over? Because everybody knows that not much rests on changing how you treat the king. Because what happened last night was just a ceremonial response. In fact, it was interesting, on Friday night I was watching the free-to-air channels and they ran programs that tried to create some sort of excitement about what makes the new king special. So they said things like, he's an advocate for overcoming global warming and preventing climate change. He works very hard. His tastes are very simple. He likes quiche. And uh, th those things might all be right. But that is not going to be enough to ensure that Australia keeps its vow. Because it really doesn't very matter very much what the Prime Minister did this weekend. That will soon blow over. And it's because the position that the King carries has no influence and no long-term effect on me. The power and the majesty of the King, King Charles, as much as last night was full of colour, is just not breathtaking. But this morning, as Paul said, we're going to be looking at another king, the real king, the king who matters, the one and only true king, the one who is anything other than what we saw last night. Because those in Westminster Abbey 12 hours ago said, may the king live forever. And I'll let you into a secret. He won't. But the king we are speaking of this morning will live forever. Our true king, whose name is Jesus, holds my and your current and eternal destinies in his hands. He always has and he always will. And he is truly breathtakingly powerful. And so, unlike what happened yesterday, we cannot say one thing with our mouth, but our hearts have completely different intentions. You cannot say, I recognise this king, and then ignore him. And that's what's going to happen as we work our way through Hebrews here at Botany week by week. And so then to our first point, this letter is called the Letter to the Hebrews. And that's a good name for it because we're not certain who wrote the letter. We don't know the names of those who received it, but we do know that they were Hebrews. They were Jews and so Letter to the Hebrews is as good a name as anything. And the Hebrews were God's chosen people. Though God has created the whole world and everything in it, he was especially close to the Hebrews they could date their history from 2,000 years before Jesus, 2,000 years before this letter was penned. And as they cast their minds back over this history, it was obvious that God was with them. 
They were chosen, they were adopted by God, they were given the promises by God that he would be their God. It was to them that God gave, gave specially and intimately revealed himself. God spoke to this nation, he fought for the Hebrews, he gave them victory when all seemed lost, he saved them. He, they knew that they were special because they were God's people. The God of the whole universe was their God. He was on their side especially. And as they looked back over their wonderful history, they could say these words. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Here is the God of the universe, stands above the galaxy, stands above the universe and he speaks to them. He is not distant. He speaks to them and speaks to them regularly. This is the closeness of the relationship. And as he spoke to them, he spoke wonderful words of promise. So, for example, Psalm 2. We're not going to go through it, but you read it for yourself if, you want, if you're taking notes. Here in Psalm 2, you've got the nations all around Israel, all around the Hebrews who are standing against God. And as you see those nations standing there, God laughs at them because he says, I have set my king on Zion, that is Jerusalem, the capital city, and this king is my son, and I will give to this one, despite what all the nations are doing, I will give to him the whole world. And he will break all these nations like a rod of iron, dashing pottery to pieces. Or in Psalm 89, there Israel, the Hebrews, they sing of God's steadfast, eternal, unchanging love. And that is seen in the promise to King David, where to David he says, I will establish your offspring forever. I will build your throne for all generations. Or in Psalm 110, there is the promise that a man will come who will rule with a mighty scepter, that is a pole, a stick, and he will shatter every nation and every king that stands against him. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, the passage that just read to us from the Old Testament, I will establish your throne and your offspring forever. You could never want more than what the God of the universe has promised to the Hebrews. But at the time of the writing of this letter to the Hebrews, this was not the case. They were captives in their own land. The Romans ruled them. But even so, the Hebrews thought this captivity, this being subjected to the Romans, is only short-lived. A little bit like Australia does. You know, when we slip down the world cricket rankings, we keep thinking it's only for a short time, we're going to be number one again soon. Or China, though they had that terrible 20th century of humiliation, they knew they would rise again. Or those who in 2020, when COVID first hit, thought it was just like a cold and people held COVID parties and they took bets on who would get COVID first. It's only short term, it doesn't matter. That's what the Hebrews thought because they had been given all of these promises by God. And so what could be greater than what they have? Well, over 2,000 years, what could be better? God had spoken through his prophets clearly 
and powerfully, but intermittently. And those powerful promises had been unfulfilled. So what could happen to change that? The next verse of Hebrews chapter 1. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by his word of power. And after providing purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. As great as what they had for 2,000 years, here is something much better. After I'd finished uni, I was living with a man whose father was a famous neurosurgeon. Uh, he was a very busy man because he was such an in-demand neurosurgeon. And my flatmate told me and he showed me a letter that was typed. He received it in the mail two days before his 18th birthday. It was written by his father's receptionist that said something like, I'm glad you've made it to 18 years old. Enjoy your day. But then my friend said, on the day of my birthday, my dad came home and he said, happy birthday, son. Even though he'd got that letter typed by the receptionist, it just paled into insignificance because he had a close relationship with his dad. And that's what we see here. Verse 1, God has spoken in the past through intermediaries, but now he has spoken to you through his son. And that matters. Look at this son who speaks. Just seven things that are said there in verses 2, 3 and 4. He appointed him heir of all things. There is nothing that he doesn't own. Go out to Botany. Look at Botany Bay. Look at Sydney. Get on Google World and go back. He owns it all. Secondly, through whom he created the world. Not just that he owns it. He owns it because he made everything. This body of mine, that body of yours, was created by the Son. Thirdly, he's the radiance of the glory of God. We don't use the word glory very much, but it's weightiness, it's brilliance. It's that which you want to look at, but you can't look at it because it is so dazzling. Well, that's what God is like. You can't stare at God, but you know that he is dazzlingly beautiful. But when you see the sun... Jesus, who walked on earth 2,000 years ago, you see that dazzlingness in the exact imprint of his nature. You see it sometimes with those of you that are kids. You say, he's just a chip off the old block. Well, Jesus is exactly like God is. Upholds the universe by his word of power. It's not just that he owns everything, not just that he creates everything, but he keeps it going. He created me. He created you. And at the moment, Jesus is your, keeping your heart pumping. He's keeping the blood going around your body. He's the one that's enabling those electrical signals to go from your brain to the rest of your body. He's the, he keeps everything, upholds everything by his word of power. And after making purification for sins... They are just a couple of words and there are lots in this. But we are a broken people in a broken world. 
Each one of us has been made by God, kept alive by God, and we are malfunctioning beings. Malfunctioning beings that God has every right to destroy. And Jesus purifies us. That is worth having, isn't it? Rather than being the object of scorn and disdain by God, we are purified so God welcomes us as his children. If you don't know what that means, make sure you talk to somebody about it. And then finally, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Well, you sit down only when you've finished your work. Some of you know that. You get home from work and you just sit down. Don't, doesn't your spouse hate it? Because there's still work to be done. You sit down when the work is finished. And Jesus the Son has finished his work. So he sits down at the right hand of heaven. So in case you missed it, as great as the past was in the way that God spoke, Jesus is so much better, like Jasper's kids talk. In the rest of chapter 1, we're going to speed up very quickly now, the rest of chapter 1 is all about angels. Now I know angels and demons are big on Netflix and they're big at the movies, but we don't normally think much about them. We don't even think they're real. We think that they are fantasy, that they're made up for TV. But the Hebrews knew angels were real and that they were powerful and that they were special. As they look back over their 2,000 years of the dealings of God with them, angels were the agents that God uses to bring relationship with him. So God spoke through his angels. He related the Hebrews through his angels. The angel of the Lord gave them victory and fought for them when they could not fight for themselves. God protected through his angels and he's made, he made his plans for this world known through the angels. And so the Hebrews, if you just got to just Google this and you can see there's all this sort of stuff about the archangel Gabriel and the archangel Michael and this other one named Raphael who I know nothing about. Modern Orthodox Jews think that angels are formed as boys go through their bar mitzvahs so that they can be protected by the angels. Angels have a very special place in Hebrew thinking about how God works because they powerfully stand between God and his people doing the work of God's care for his people. And in the rest of this chapter... The writer says, if you think angels are special, and they are, Jesus is even better. And so verse 4, he says, Jesus has become much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So in verse 5, he says, to which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son, today I have begotten you. No angel is a son. But Jesus is. In verse 6, he says, Again, to the firstborn, he says, Let all of God's angels worship him. You only worship that which is greater than you. As great as the angels are, they are worshipping Jesus. And then in verse 7, Angels, he makes his angels winds, his ministers flames of fire. That is, they are spirits sent by God. But compared to that, the sun rules forever. Verse 8, your th about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
By the way, this is the first time, I think, in the Bible, and one of the few times in the Bible that it's clear that the Son of God, Jesus, is called God. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And look at the way he exercises his rule, verse 8. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness and the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond that of your companions. We saw last night the scepter, two of them, that was given to King Charles. They were the symbols of power and authority to be used for good government. He's not going to be able to use that. But King Jesus, the Son of God, has the scepter of righteousness. You have loved truth and rightness. You have hated wickedness. And this scepter will be used by him to bring truth and rightness into our world and to destroy wickedness. And it, as good as King Charles might desire to be and to do good, he will die and his rule will come to an end. But about the sun, you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning and the heavens of the work of your hand. They'll all perish, but you remain. They'll wear out like a garden, garment, like a robe. You'll roll them up like a garment. They'll be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. Now, all of this talk of angels and comparing them to the sun is a bit foreign to us. What's it all means? Here's the, here's the bottom line. There are angels. They are not the creepy ones of Netflix and movies, but they are given by God to help his people. So what does that mean? The last verse of chapter 1. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Now we all want to know, where are the angels? How can we identify them? Do we have them? What we are told here is that angels have been given to God's people, that is to you, by God. They don't have wings, they're not super shiny or anything like that, but they are God's gifts to his beloved. If you belong to Jesus, you need not fear God protects his own and protects his own in a way that is often invisible to us. But while angels protect, the sun rules. Verse 13, God said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The sun is sitting, his victory is certain. His enemies, no matter how scary, will become something that you just rest your feet on. He is your king. He is the real king. The real king with absolute power. He is not a fairy tale king. He is all powerful, all good. He is active to protect. And so take heart. I don't know what you're going through. But in all the difficulty of life, he sits victorious and he sends help. So to finish then, Hebrew believers and us,
the last 24 hours have been full of pomp and symbolism. But it's just that, pomp and symbolism. The king will not live forever. He will not be able to use his scepter to bring justice that we all want. And the promises of allegiance made by so many leaders of nations will fade. People will forget the promises or people will ignore them. And that was the danger for the Hebrews. They were in danger not because they didn't think he was powerful. They were in danger of just slipping away. Over in chapter 10, the writer of the Hebrews says about these Hebrew people, you recall those days when you became Christians, those former days, when you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those that were treated like that. You had compassion on those who were put in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better and abiding possession. When they became Christians, these Hebrews were persecuted and they stood up for Jesus. But now the danger is just becoming complacent. And that's our danger as well. We live in a world where it is easy. We live in a world where we don't like rocking the boat. We live in a world where we just want comfort. And so hear the words of warning at the beginning of chapter 2. Therefore... You must pay them much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received its just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was delivered at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You know, you can hear the warning, isn't it? Don't become complacent. Don't do what we assume will happen with King Charles and that just not pay attention to the promises we have made. The sun is radiant. The sun is glorious. The sun is all-powerful. But you know, there are two words in that little paragraph that terrify me. There is a word in verse 1, drift. There is a word in verse 3 there as well that terrifies me, neglect. It's not that you wake up one morning and think, oh, I'm going to give up on the sun. I'm going to give up on Jesus. It is just drifting away. Hear the warning. If you disobey the angels who were just God's intermediaries sent to serve you and that brought about punishment, there is a greater punishment that awaits for those who drift away from the sun. The writer to the Hebrews and I am encouraging us all not to drift. Bow the knee and keep bowing the knee to this king, the true king, who is greater than the angels. Bow the knee to the one who provided to you purification of sins, who stands by you in all of life, 
who when we see God face to face and all that we have done and all that we have been is disclosed and we have nothing to hide behind as he is there sitting on the throne holding the scepter of power and he says, dear, it's good to have you at home. Don't drift away from him. Please join me in prayer. Our Lord God, thank you for this reminder from this chapter of your word of how special King Jesus is. And we want to ask you today that we might not drift away. Please enable us to keep remembering that and strengthen us day by day to stay close to Jesus, to rejoice in him and see how much more superior he is than anything in this creation. Thank you.